We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. Breathing in the microphone, which sounds really weird. All right. Good morning, everyone. So good to be here with you. I'm going to share a few thoughts with you. Um, and I, I just need to fix this because I can't stand that sound. Okay. So, othering. It's a thing we do to people who don't fit into our in-group. Human beings are hardwired to create this us versus them dynamic. We see kids do it, adults do it, we all do it. And to be fair, some people theorize that it's helped us survive over thousands of years being part of an in-group. Sometimes it's a good thing to be wary of people who are different from you. But our instincts go too far, and lately they've really gone off the deep end. So we've talked a, a bit this morning about um, how we might live in this polarized, increasingly polarized society. And probably like you, I've watched this evolve over time. I first noticed people becoming outwardly rude at college sports games I attended. I didn't have any allegiance to either the football team or the basketball team I was watching, but I noticed that when the uh, opposing team came out onto the field, people booed. And it shocked me because I had grown up, you know, in watching sports and going to sports things. And maybe I'm old-fashioned, but back in the day when I did that, people didn't boo the other team, right? So it, that bothered me, and that to me was kind of the first signal that uh, I noticed of this kind of growing culture of othering people with such venom. So fast forward, and our culture over the past 20 years has grown even more vicious in other areas. And today I'm going to talk about religion and politics, two things you should never talk about in public, right, with other people. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk about money, though, so we, we won't cover all three. All right, so othering of people is something I do with predictable regularity. While I've been on this spiritual journey for the past 20 years or so, I have been rejecting the faith tradition I grew up with some vigor. I'm still angry with the people who put me through what they put me through as a child and a teenager. When I was eight years old, uh, the pastor of my then Southern Baptist Church on decided one Easter Sunday to have us kids stay in the sanctuary for his sermon. And in that sermon, he told us that we could die on the way home and that we would never see our parents again. Now, my little eight-year-old self that morning was so terrified, I would do anything, anything to be able to see my parents again. So when the altar call came, I ran up to the front sobbing. My little eight-year-old self said, just tell me what to do. I want to be able to see my parents again. And of course, it didn't bother me at the time as much. I mean, I was sad, right? But at least I said the prayer, and I knew I was going to see my parents again. Um, but when I look back on that, it really makes me angry. So I don't know the heart of that clergyman who made that decision that day. Did he have a soul quota he had to meet? And he was so behind on his numbers that he needed to frighten all these young children into accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior that Sunday morning? I will never know. But today I'm angry at the system that normalizes terrorizing anyone. As a result, I other Southern Baptists, 
or anyone who puts forth those same kinds of ideas. So if you take that personal history and add it to my observation that more and more being Christian means vilifying people for their lifestyles, who they love, or how they vote, and I have even more reasons to other. I'm seeing this more and more often in my workplace. Um, we get calls from people saying we shouldn't be serving the LGBTQ plus community or asking people how they identify on, a, on the gender spectrum in our demographic surveys because we're a Christian organization. Christian organizations don't do that. So I find myself wondering how on earth these people can possibly know the same Christ I know upon whose name Christianity was founded. So then I easily take the mental leap that all Christians think this way. So I was on a call just the other day and was kind of taken aback, honestly, when a woman on the call shared, when we were talking about this demographic data, she shared that she defines herself as a Christian and doesn't think we should approach things that way. And I was like, well, at least there's one more out there that doesn't think that. So I just don't often enough give people the benefit of the doubt. I don't ask questions about where they are in their spiritual journeys, and it's entirely possible that most Christians are not like the people who call and tell us not to do what we're doing. And the vocal minority are the ones we see or hear from the most. But I don't know for sure. So I make up stories in my head about where anyone who identifies as Christian might be. So as I stereotype Christians, I struggle with that label for my own life, and I find myself thinking that I am more enlightened than they are. I tell myself that I am more awake to a true spiritual connection with God. And to be honest, that may not be helpful in the grand scheme of things. By self-aggrandizing, I'm certainly not living out my desire to love and be loved and to not judge others. And it's the same in the political space. I started doing advocacy work as a volunteer for my profession back in the 1980s. I went to Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. and got trained on how to have conversations with legislators, learn your talking points, go in and meet with them. And, and I actually learned that I was pretty good at it, and I kind of liked it. So fast forward to today, and that's a big part of my job that I do day in, day, day in and day out now, government relations. And I'm a registered lobbyist. And when I tell people that, they can't believe that I do that, and they can't believe I actually like doing it. So you can imagine that as a lobbyist, I've seen politics in action. I've spent a fair amount of time in committee rooms at the state legislative building listening to bills being debated, watching the proceedings on the Senate and House floor, meeting one-on-one -on -one and in small groups with legislators to talk to them about the issues that are important to my work. What I can tell you from my years of experience working in this space is that what happens in Raleigh and in Washington, D.C. is not what you imagine it is if you've never seen it, and it is certainly not what you see on TV, on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. In my experience, most everyone you speak with who has run for office has been elected, and they ran for office because they wanted to make their community better. And that's where we have common ground. They saw something they wanted to fix, and they took it upon themselves to fix it. Now, I'm not saying there aren't any bad actors. There are. Very clearly, there are some bad actors. And egos definitely take people astray. But the majority are there to make a positive difference. We may just not agree on how to go about making that positive difference. So in recent years, we have observed, all of us have observed, a yawning abyss of political divide emerging in our nation. After the 2016 election, our own church experienced turmoil as a result of that election. We lost about 10% of our congregation, most of them conservative-leaning people. 
and it affected families. It affected my own family. Strained family ties was the subject of a research study published in 2018, two years after the 2016 election. The researchers used anonymized smartphone location data and precinct-level voting data to show that Thanksgiving dinners attended by residents from opposing party precincts were 30 to 50 minutes shorter than same-party dinners. <laughs> and the effects were even greater in areas where there were more political ads that were running. And the authors concluded that nationwide, 34 million hours of cross-partisan Thanksgiving dinner discourse were lost in 2016 owing to partisan effects. I don't know about you, but I think that's unacceptable. If there's one thing I think we may all agree on, it's that the way we talk about and treat people on the other side is broken. In a 2021 poll, most Americans thought the biggest threat to our country's way of life was other people in America. <laughs> this means you, people, and me. <laughs> By June of 2021, U.S. voters rated division in the country as the number one issue facing them personally. Think about that, personally. And I know I felt that way, too. Some of you know that I volunteer with this nonprofit organization you've heard about this morning called Braver Angels. That, that one. Um, and um, Braver Angels, as you've heard, is a nonprofit organization that is helping, to, helping us to bridge the political divide. So based on my recent experience as a Braver Angels volunteer, I've learned that most of the polarization that's out there is in our heads. Most Americans are really not that far apart on most policy issues and the values they, they carry behind them. So the few Braver Angels events I've observed or attended and participated in personally, I learned about people, how people arrived at their opinions on specific political issues and learned that people are not all the same. For example, I know a Republican who is opposed to what is happening with abortion rights in our country. I just read a blog by a socialist who's been the victim of cancer, cancel culture and speaks against it. I know Democrats who have concealed carry permits. So what I've learned is that labels just don't fit most of the time. We are each so unique in our diversity that it's impossible to really know where folks stand on issues and values until you get to know them. And you can only get to know them by talking to them. So why don't we talk to each other? I think it's fear. I know for me, it's fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of conflict, and I think it's lack of information. Anytime we as humans lack information, we make up stories in our heads, and these stories are usually figments of our imaginations and usually nowhere close to reality. So here we are. It's fall, almost fall of 2023. Where does the time go? We've been through three years of a pandemic which has kept us away from other humans. And this has only added to our fear of other people, and it's unhealthy. The days of the year are passing by quickly, and before you know it, Tuesday, November 5th, 2024, will be here. It's not Tuesday, November 5th we're dreading, however. It's the days leading up to November 5th that we're all probably dreading as we live through another election cycle. I am afraid. Between now and then, we are going to be intentionally or unintentionally seeing a lot of ads, listening to a lot of news, seeing a lot of tweets and posts, and we will be engaging in conversations with people, those we agree with and those we don't. So what do we do? How do we navigate these next 14 months? 
More importantly, what can we the people do to ensure that January 2025 does not look like January 2021? How can we ensure the integrity of our election process when so many people have become so jaded? So Braver Angels, the nonprofit I volunteer with, is embarking on a bold endeavor called Rise for America, a national campaign for civic renewal. And our community can be a part of that. So in the realm of here, now, small, doable, I'm going to offer some ideas for how we might get through this next 14 months together. And as you heard Doug say, we need to start with ourselves. We need to start by depolarizing ourselves. Because what we know is that the conversations that I have with the people who think like me are polarizing. And so it's tough work. It's really tough work. Let me tell you, I love the dopamine hit I get from talking trash about the other side with people who think like me. I love it. It's a rush. I admit it. I'm addicted to it. And so like most addictions, you have to find a way to break the habit. I want to do better, and I need people to come along with me who are also wanting to do better to develop this new habit of embracing love over fear. And I have good news. As you heard, we're hosting a workshop here at CTC on September 9th that will teach us the skills to depolarize within. You can register using that QR code or on our website or on the app. Another thing you can do is read the book, I Never Thought of It That Way, by Monica Guzman. So Monica is the PR person with uh, Braver Angels, but she didn't start working there initially. She was uh, working in her community. She's a community organizer. Um, but, and I know we've had a book club here at CTC that has read this book, and Cindy Appleby led, led that group. Um, but I would say we can do another book club with this book. You can do a book club with this book with your friends and your neighbors. Discuss it with family and friends. Give it out to whomever. It's really, really an important read. And lastly, you can work with our Braver Angels group here at CTC to find ways to help bridge the divide in our community. Again, my experience has been that after having hosted red and blue workshops at work and attending Braver Angel events in the area, when people can share their values and share their personal stories of how they arrived where they are about issues such as gun control, border control, abortion, yes, even racism and faith journeys, the more likely it is that we can at last see the other person as a human being. Different from ourselves, with different life experiences, but valuable just the same. Nothing in this world is black and white. Everything is shades of gray. And we all have to be able to share with each other our perspectives and be able to find common ground and repair our world. We can choose love over fear, but we have to practice that. And we need more information so we can debunk these stories that are in our heads that are probably not true. So I'd like to end or close with these lyrics from the song, Get Together, that I heard again recently for the first time. If you hear the song I sing, you will understand. Listen. You hold the key to love and fear all in your trembling hand. Just one key unlocks them both. It's there at your command. Come on, people now. Smile on your brother. Everybody get together. 
try to love one another right now. Online, we would normally be dismissing you right now to uh, go to online Zoom. We're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to leave you connected while we have, uh, what are you thinking here in the room? Uh, and then at the end, we're going to invite you. I'm going to go down the hall and uh, we're going to talk about some of the things that we do to orient newcomers. And I hope you'll zoom in uh, on that uh, with me. We'll dismiss to that in, in a moment. Um, <clears throat> What are you thinking? What's stirring up in your heart? If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.